Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today is September 26, 2022, and it's the official launch of the book, I've Written a Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. And today's a different episode in the sense that Dick Foth will be interviewing me. Many of you who listen into the podcast know we have a session of Back Channel with Foth with Dick, but today is just a little different. He's going to be interviewing me and asking questions about the book, uh, A Caring Life. And uh, Dick has interviewed Condoleezza Rice and George Bush and all these other famous people. I'm not famous, but it was an honor that he would take the time to interview me and just sit down and talk about the book and its launch and the excitement that's in there. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. Today is a different day on the podcast in the sense that I'm here with my friend um, Dick Foth. And Dick has given me the honor to interview me or talk to me about the book I've written, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. And Dick has interviewed the likes of a lot more famous people than me. Um, so it's an honor to have him and just to, to discuss the book. Dick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. And, you know... I won't ever have a chance to interview anybody more fun than you. So, <laughs> so I mean, who, who, who often gets to interview somebody who's brought up? Is it Wiley Ford? Wiley Ford. That's it. Wiley That's Ford. it. Not Pennsylvania. Wiley Ford, West Virginia. That's it. This That's it. The, I love this. Take me home country road. I'm coming. Yeah. Here we yeah. go. So as a friend of mine would say, as we start this, this conversation and interview, here we go. <laughs> okay. Yep. So let me just start with uh, where this comes from vocationally for you. Sure. You, you are a nurse. Yeah. You are more than a nurse. You're a PhD in nursing from West Virginia University. Yeah. And it's, it's been years since people said, well, all nurses are women, you know, because there's lots of male nurses. But nurses, my experience with nurses, I've been in lots of hospitals, both as a patient and as a pastor and so forth, is they work hard and they pat arms, right? I mean, nurses are really good at patting yeah. arms. But in my mind, they're the ultimate carers. Hmm. Okay? So you have this book called A Caring Life. Yes. And you have a whole chapter on this question. Yeah. Why this book now? Yeah. So give me, give me a couple of sentences on why this book now. I think the great question, I think for me, why I wrote this book now is because I've seen so many developments in technology, uh, time management, our life seems to be going at a faster pace. And I just, as I've seen and traveled and experienced life, I see a less uh, emphasis on caring for each other. I think it, maybe it's the complexity of our life. Maybe it's the speed of our life. I don't profess to have all the answers, but I, just from observation and listening, observing people's lives and listening to others, I just become in contact with more and more people that feel like they're, as your book was, known. They feel unknown. They feel unseen. And they feel like they don't matter and they don't belong. And when you come back to it, it comes back to a time where they they were desiring someone to care for them. And when they looked around, there wasn't somebody to care for them. And through that pain and hurt, you know, they express that. And I think that's, you know, the, the why this book now is just to get the message out there that we've made so many advances in many things. But I just wanted to bring us back into focus on caring for each other. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I loved your book. I read it all the way through and I read parts of it several times. Um, 
this book has history, it has tragedy, it has humor, vulnerability, in-your-face challenge. I don't like that yeah. part. Calls me out, but it also <laughs> calls to something. Yeah. So give us a couple of sentences on how this book is framed, because it, it's a manual of sorts. It's yeah. like a workbook, but it's like it's not a boring manual. It's, yeah. it's got all these stories in it. Tell me about what the parts are. Yeah, I think as I tried to read the write the book, and as you have shared many times, people remember stories. And so I tried to mix principles and stories around that just to engage the reader. And that's how I remember best is through stories. And that's the those are the things that stick in my mind. So we just started off this kind of sharing my history of how I ended up as a nurse. As I share, it was not something I was necessarily so excited to get into the nursing profession and honestly went in to, to make money. So I felt called into missions, but I grew up in a lower middle class family, knew my father couldn't afford to send me to buy. Bible school without getting in a bunch of debt that would inhibit me from getting to the mission field. And so there was a nursing school um, near my hometown. And I thought, hey, this is this is an opportunity to make money. It's portable and this will help me um, get in. But I jumped in and they just began to share about caring and wasn't what really what I thought I was there for. I thought I was there to learn about the anatomy and the physiology and immunology and all those things that I found interesting. But caring hit me in the face. And so I think that's, as I walk through the book and talk up through that, I, I don't want it just to be a didactic session where I just share a bunch of information and dump it on people, but I really would wanted people to process it through stories of personal experience right. to give some, you know, give some information. But then at the end of each chapter, there's questions. And honestly, the feedback I've got from the people who've read the book, they've really valued those questions to be able to sit around and talk about that, reflect on them. So it becomes more than just knowledge. It's it's application and how it applies to my life. So so as people read this, yeah. wherever they are in the 100 plus countries around the world that are hearing this, right. if you were to sit in a small group, right. this, this book actually lends itself For sure. to being able to talk through and about these things. So let me let me just uh, say this about the book. I know you wrote it now. Yeah. But the book started like a hundred years ago. <laughs> I'm, gonna a, I'm gonna give you a phrase yeah. from the book. And you you give me just a little backstory. Sure. My grandmother had to burn her baby doll mm. for the family to stay warm. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, even as you as you read those words, it brings emotion to my heart, and my mind. And that's that's our family. That's my family history. And so I think many of our lives have been impacted by people that have cared for us and many of the people that we'll never know. And that's the story of my family. So my my grandmother was one of seven. What's what's your grandmother's name before we go there? Sarah. Sarah was Sarah, was Sarah Santameyer. That was that was her once. Yeah, that was my grandmother. Okay, go ahead. And so Sarah was one of seven, and her her father um, left, um, as I shared the book, for reasons that none of us really understand today. Evidently, they made a lot of sense to him, but um, put the family in a very difficult situation. They had about a month left on the rent, or a month or less, and my my be my great grandmother. You know, she was working, trying to keep things together for a family. But at the same time, at that time, it was tough. They were living in Morgantown, West Virginia, um, Stewart Street, actually, that runs right down into into the university. And they were seeing everybody's lives seem to go forward in a positive way. 
but those were were going downhill. So long story short, they end up, they have to move out of the apartment or the house they were living in. They end up, uh, somebody volunteered to let them live in an orchard and lived in an apple orchard. But in West Virginia, you know, this time of year, it goes October, November. It's uh, it's pretty, but it's also cold. And so the only way they had to stay warm was to begin to burn their possessions. And so they burned through the wood, but then it came to the end and all they had left was the the girls and their baby dolls. And so my grandmother's baby doll was one of the last things they burned. That is an incredible image for me yeah. to, to see that. I mean, yeah. There's nothing closer to a little girl. Exactly. Girls. Yeah. And then those kinds of things. But but then here's another sentence. One Sunday was all it took. Yeah. One Sunday changed everything. The sister's life and the life of her family was never the same. Yeah. What so the older sister in the family, um, so my grandmother's older sister, um, she saw an advertisement for a, a picnic, a fall picnic. It was actually happening indoors. She was tired of living living in the cold and and only eating apples. That was what the the owner of the orchard told them. You know, they could eat things that fell to the ground. And I think they talked about they would brush the tree and shake the tree a little bit so the apples would fall because <laughs> they were hungry. Um, and so long story, she went to this church. The pastor invited her and said, we'd love to have you come to the picnic. There'll be free food. But, I, we, you know, we really would want you to come to the service in the morning. And so she went to the service in the morning and she gave her heart to Jesus got fed spiritually um, and then physically. And in the evening service, you know, for us Pentecostals, um, she was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and in that evening service. And it transformed her life and that message of uh, of Christ, that she was valued, that she had dignity, she was loved, she mattered, um, she was cared for, changed her life. And then that she went back and told the family and it just, you know, it impacted, ultimately impacted my, my grandmother. So we're burning the furniture, as it right. were. We're burning our closest things to right. us. And in one moment, yeah. one day, caring showed up. It did. Here's, here's a quote, again, from the book. In short, caring the actions that meet the needs of belonging, yeah. mattering, and being known. Yeah. So the book unpacks that. Yeah. If you and unpack is not my is not a word I use very often. I do a lot of packing and unpacking. <laughs> so and then you you zero in on yeah. that. And and this statement caught my attention. Dignity is the impetus for caring. That is giving somebody dignity or acknowledging dignity yeah. is the talk to me about that. You know, I went back and forth, honestly, Dick, as I was writing the book, whether we give dignity, but I, I really think our dignity comes from God. So I don't think as I, I had that as one of the the subtitles and I thought that's that's not correct. And later on in the edits, it's I think it's just acknowledging the dignity that's already there. They, you know, that we believe as Christians that Christ died and paid the same price for all of us. And that dignity is inherent because of what's, what Christ did for us. And I think as, as we care for someone, we're just acknowledging the dignity that's already there. And they can they see that and they can feel that. Sometimes I know in my life when I've been down, I share stories of, you know, 
Burkina and different at Madagascar, different places where I, my head was low. My eyes were looking down. And so when someone cared for me and sh- it, it let me realize once again, yes, that I was loved, that I was cared for. And I did have value because of what Christ did for me. And it allowed me because they saw that dignity in me because of what Christ did. It allowed me to once again, for that to become alive and for me to acknowledge it once again. Does, does that answer your question, Dick? Sure. Yeah, because you're you're saying di- dignity, the dignity that that people are have built in. Yeah, they're built in the image of God. So for sure, is the stimulus or the impetus yeah. for the caring acts, uh, reaching out to folks, and and you speak of it not just as a point in time, although there may be Sunday mornings when we get invited to right. a dinner on the or supper on the grounds, whatever they would call it back in the day, but you talk about being a you played baseball as a kid. Yeah. And when that ball hits the bat or when the pitch is thrown, yeah. the the trajectory yeah. of that impact has a has an effect. And yeah. you, you make the comment that acts of caring impact the lives and trajectories of the generations that follow. Yeah. I I can't tell you how many times I've listened to people's stories and have them say, you know, my uh, my great grandparents had this moment or my parents were in this place and they had this moment and everything then came downstream from that. Yeah. Talk to us about trajectory for a moment. You know, I think that's going back to the, the story of my grandmother. I've never met the people in that church. I've never met the pastor. I've never met the people who invited them. I never met, have met the people that helped them find a place to live outside of the orchard. At the same time, what they did dramatically impacted generations that followed. You know, it impacted my grandmother directly, but then it's also impacted my father and it impacted me and it impacted my kids all from one act of caring that happened at one point of time. But the ripple effects of that are unbelievable. And I share in the book, you know, as I'm, I'm standing on the stage giving, I was asked to address the, the, the doctoral graduates You know, I'm standing on the stage and the reality of it is it's hard for me to imagine that happening without those people caring for my grandmother. And it impacted her trajectory, but ultimately it impacted mine. And the thing that she wanted and she shared, you know, she never imagined that she would ever be able to go to the University of West Virginia. And she didn't WVU, but her grandkids did. And I really believe a lot of that had to do with the impact of those people that cared for her at that point in her life. It impacted her trajectory and ultimately mine way down the line. So was this was this when you got your doctorate in nursing at West Virginia and yeah. you you were the speaker? Yes. At the, at the graduation. Um, I like what how you quoted Andy Andrews when you said. And he says, don't yeah. squander your words or your thoughts. Consider even the simplest action you take for your life and those lives you come in contact with matter beyond measure and they matter forever. Yeah. That, you know, we have a lot of talk today about trans or cross generational impact. Yeah. And we, and we think about how do you invest? How do you do? And what I hear you saying is that. Even if your investment is a point in time, yeah, or maybe especially if your investment is a point in time, at the point when when your resource and your care uh, intersects a person's need, yeah, that that's not just about them, yeah, that's 100%. about their whole circle, yeah, and going down. 
That's that's tremendous. Ben, we come to a part in the book called self-inventory. I have to tell you, I don't know this part in the book. I, you know, could we, we could we cut that chapter out? <laughs> Give us a snapshot of self-inventory and why that's important. I think it 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 allows us to just look at into ourselves the reasons that we would care, the reasons we not care. I talk about a devotional that I go through um, every, I would say every morning, but probably day 360 days out of the year. But in that, he talked about, you know, what it means to be a true friend and um, just some questions that he goes through and processes. And I think it allows me to, when I'm rushed, when I'm hurried, it provides a self inventory of what's going, my actions um, demonstrate what's going on internally. And I think that self inventory, when I begin to rush and I begin to look over people and walk over people and I'm not caring for them, it allows me to see what's going on internally. And it, it's a, a point of pause to begin to ask those questions. Am I being a good friend? Am I being someone that is seeing people and caring for them and letting them know that they matter, they belong, that they're known? Or am I just rushing by um, to get through the day? So the it's that's a little like the Good Samaritan story. <laughs> a little bit. I'm I'm off to church and I'm walking on the other side of the road. The um, you know one of my one of the things that I've come to over the last few years is is what you touch on here is that I used to think that what we call friendship was sort of a watered down form of love. Hmm. And but when I read Jesus the night before the cross in in John 15, he redefined for me. Yeah. He redefines, you know, uh, love in, in friendship language. Yeah. You know, w- what greater love does somebody have than to lay down his life for his spouse? Well, it doesn't say that. It says <laughs> we're friends, right? And, and so your, your comment is being a true friend, being patient and kind, and being forgiving require my presence. Yeah. That, that to be present as a friend is powerful. One of the things you say here is that as we care for others, we realize there are situations and challenges in life that we cannot handle on our own. Yeah. What do you mean? I think it allows us to realize that we are um, we're smaller in this than than we we think we are. Uh, many times in my life, I have went it walked into situations thinking that I had the the wisdom, the knowledge, the insight in the West Virginia um, willpower to make something happen only to realize whether it was in Burkina to be smacked in the face with malaria or to be in Madagascar and not be able to speak. But it draws you to one. I think it draws us to a higher power, which for me is Jesus. And the other thing I think is it draws us closer to to others because I, you know, I went to Burkina thinking, hey, I'm young, I'm strong, I can do this thing all on my own. And that lasted about, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And um, I realized I needed other people because I was there to care. Um, but my resources are limited. My blind spots are big. My talented, you know, I talk about natural talents, acquired abilities, and our spiritual giftings. They're limited. But when we care for each other, it bonds us with each other, but then it also lets me realize, as you and I have talked in the past, I can't control outcomes. Uh, you know, God controls outcomes. I don't control them. In my younger years, I thought that I could do that. And the science part of me, the science mind, you know, you do this. I talk about input outputs. Caring's not that. You know, yeah. you care for somebody, but you're not guaranteed a result. Um, all you can do is be obedient and care for them 
and and God leave it to God. So that's that dependence and realizing, hey, you know, I can only do what I can do, but at the end of the day, God God takes care of it. I think there's a quote that says, you know, doctors doctors treat, nurses care, but ultimately God heals. You know, and I think that comes back to that point that healing doesn't come from me. Healing comes from from God. And so. One of my favorite sentences in the entire book is caring for others removes me from the center of my Mm. story. Now, this book is full of your story. Yeah. uh, But because you're framing it or talking about others. Yeah. Yeah. this isn't all about Aaron. No. And uh, that statement about caring for others removes me from the center of my story. Yeah. Elaborate that just a little. You know, I, I share a little further down in the in the book about my language. I say my team, my wife, my family, my this, my that. my And so even in that, my first point in that thing is my. So that's me is first. So even in my language... Um, I put myself first. When I tell a story, I hate to admit it, but a lot of times I try to make myself look good. I'm the center of that story. But when I care for somebody, it takes the focus off me, puts my focus on that person, what they need, what what's best for them. And at that time, uh, you know, I my world becomes very, very small when it's Aaron. My world is so much bigger when I focus on other people because it's just not all about me. And I think part of me in in writing this book, there is a lot of my stories in there. Those are my experiences. But at the same time, the focus is not me. The focus is the reality that mistakes I've made, you know, the adventures I've been on. At the same time, it's to say, hey, you know, God is, uh, my life is so much more um, meaningful and fulfilled when I'm not the center of it and putting my focus on other people, Jesus and other people in the eyes off me. You know, if I'm a young mother listening to this or just a mother listening to it, and I'm not a mother, obviously, and I, but <clears throat> one of the things I've heard our adult daughters with their children say is that laundry never stops. <laughs> never stops. Yeah. And some folks are listening to this and say, caring is like laundry. I mean, oh. it's just, is same old, same old. It is. You challenge that. You challenge yeah. that at one level. It it may be um, on and on. Yeah. But you say that that uh, caring has creativity to it. Yeah. How so? You know, I when I find myself just doing the same things over and over, it makes me realize I've taken the creativity out of caring. We serve a creative God. You know, we serve a God who, who's created the world. He's a creative God. And I think as we look at individuals where each of us are unique and it gives us the opportunity to bring creativity and the art of caring into it and meeting those individual needs at those individual times. You know, I talk about art, you know, art is, it, it takes action. It takes movement. It takes, I talk about saying that I'm not creative and your good friend and really good friend, Mark Batterson. I remember it, just like it was yesterday, sitting in a, in a room in Ocean City. And I share the story that I took calculus and that's when I had, you know, firm proof that I was no longer um, creative because I couldn't take the, 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 
numbers and put them in. I couldn't figure out how to get my mind wrapped around it. So I'm sitting in that room in Ocean City and Mark basically shares and uh, I'm paraphrasing. If you say you're not creative, it might just, you don't want to put the work into it and you're, and you're not, you're, you're being lazy. And it was a challenge to me that when I care for people, it's just easy to say, I'm not creative. I'm just going to do the same thing for everybody and move on. Um, but I, Dick, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that I feel known, um, seen, uh, Matt, that I matter and I belong when somebody kind of just gives me a standard caring. But when I think when someone does something for me individually, it makes me that they really saw me, they really know me and they're bringing that creative um, part into caring. And I, I think that's, that's what I was trying to get at for somebody to really feel, yeah, you know, our wife or people that are close to us, if they give the same gift or the same, you know, if my wife told every man she saw, she loved them. It, would, it wouldn't mean a whole lot, you know. I mean, or my, you know, it just that thing. If we say the same thing to everybody, it becomes rote. I think it becomes less meaningful. But when people can see that creativity, it lets them know that the efforts behind it and our hearts behind it. So when I when I go to a doctor's office and Ruth and I at our age, you know, we just build doctors. <laughs> it's crazy. We used, go, we used to go to football games. Now we go to doctors. <laughs> but but the thing they ask me a lot yeah. of times is uh, my history. Yeah. And, and, and they say, tell me about da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Your uh, primary base for caring, yeah. the book, is to listen. Yeah. And put it this way. Listen first. Listen widely. Yeah. Listen deeply. Yeah. And hear what is unsaid. Yeah. That stands over, to me, that yeah. stands over against assuming yeah. Assuming gets everybody in trouble, almost yeah. always, right? For sure. Talk to me just a little bit. Give, give me a little bit on listening widely, deeply first. You know, it, that uh, I share the the author that wrote that book, it, it, Listening Like Jesus, it, it really challenged me. Um, the idea that the problem with being in the medical field and the good or the bad is normally people come in, you talked about going to the doctor, they want, people want their answer, the problem solved in 15 minutes. And people want you to solve problems. But as we look at the life of Jesus, he really listened. You know I mean? He really listened and, and he asked, he didn't always, people would ask him questions. He'd ask another question. It, just as you're phenomenal at asking questions, but he really cared and he wanted to get beyond the superficial. And I think that's the challenge for me in my life. A lot of times I'll ask a question and I'm just happy with the superficial answer but not really hearing what is truly going on. And so to listen broadly, listen deeply, and, and to take the time, you really get beyond the presented problem to the real problem. And, you know, I share in the book a lot of times, I never say, you know, hey, I see you came in for your acne today, right? That, sometimes you, that might be why the person comes in the office, but they don't want you to point it out to them. Um, you ask enough questions, they see if they can trust you, and then they'll really share why they're there. And I think that happens in life, too. It's not just in the doctor's office. People are, you know, they'll, they'll see if we'll just move on with the superficial answer. But if we're willing to listen and, and really listen and ask more questions, we can get to really what's going on at the heart level. And I think Jesus models that for us, um, yeah, in his life. Sixty years ago when I was in grad school in Wheaton, Illinois, I had the best teacher I've ever had. Her name was Dr. Lois Labar. And she would always emphasize when you are teaching people, when you're working in Sunday school, whatever it was at the day, said, listen to the felt needs so you can get to the real need. Yeah. With this idea that yeah. you're 
putting forward here or emphasizing. And if we don't care for people, your, your line is that our care muscles atrophy. Yeah. That, you know, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I, it's true in every aspect of life, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that particular thing. But you, you say something that resonates with me, and it really came home to me when Ruth and I moved from California in 1992 or three to go to Washington, D.C. for 15 years to do a very different kind of work behind yeah. the scenes, not being the leader, but being an Aaron and her to somebody else's leadership. Yeah. Right? And it, uh, here's, here are the two words. And I want you to respond, react to this. Okay. Pick one. Pick one. So I, I think that's the challenge. You know, Andy Stanley kind of popularized the idea of, of choosing one. You know, do for one what you do for, you can't do it for everyone, but you can do it for one. And the challenge that I ran into that was the idea that how do I pick that one? Uh, am I a random person? I, I need some process to walk through. And as I walked um, uh, through through the book, I needed a process to help as, as a scientific mind, just some, some questions I could answer. So I didn't do things flippantly. And I think is is our, our you shared about our caring muscles atrophy. It's just easier not to do anything. You know, I mean, it's it's easier. We drift towards doing nothing. And um, but if we choose one, and we can have that process. And I give a, kind of eight steps that I go through in my mind when I'm getting ready to care for. Now, if somebody's bleeding out, you know, obviously, or, or, or in the middle of a tragedy, you know, I'm going to engage. But if I see a family in need or, or a need, these are the things I think. I think about, is this something that God has laid on my heart? Is the Holy Spirit putting it there? Is this who I am? Do I have the giftings and talents and discernment? And, and is God leading me? And it gives me just a way to walk through that so that I can choose one and invest in the, that one life. And the reality of it is, it it sounds pat, it sounds trite, but man, if we would all just choose one and, and pick one, as you said, um, the amazing difference we would make um, in people's lives. I um, People ask me, how, how do you think differently now than you did 30 years ago hmm. about whatever it is? And, and I say, you know, uh, when I had that experience in DC and that's maintained, to, to the rest of my life so far. And that is that if you want to go broad, go deep with a few. Hmm. Uh, that's when you read Jesus. Yeah. That's what you say, oh, yeah. right? For and, sure. And uh, one of the things that, that really uh, strikes me is that when we care for people like this and you come in on it, uh, you might get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably will get hurt because, I mean, we know this in any loving relationship. Yeah. It's those that are close to you that can hurt you the worst. Yeah. And so part of that, in, in, in that, a corollary to that is by the listening, by the being willing to take a chance on being hurt, we, uh, we need to learn. We need yeah. to understand how others desire to be cared for. I keep hearing you when you're, when you're answering my questions, I keep hearing this isn't cookie cutter. This is exactly. not one that fits all. This is absolutely unique to the individual. Yeah. Uh, give me just a couple of moments on learning how people desire to be cared for. Listening. You know, if you have the opportunities to observe people, ask questions beforehand, 
it really helps. You know, I mean, because then you get that you can observe how they act, how they how they communicate, how they care for others. And I think in general, that's a great sign of how they want to be cared for. And so it gives you gives you an idea of, hey, this is this is how they're caring for others. And so this is how I would respond. I can respond to them. Talk in the book a little bit about the Enneagram and just our different types of of how we're designed and made and how we can care for people in that specific way so that they feel cared for. It comes back to that point, Dick. It takes us out of the center of the story. It's easy for me to care for people the way I want to care for them um, or the way I'd want to be cared for. And at the end of the day, that's not what it's all about because that puts me in the back of the center of the story. And I, I share about my Heather and I, you know, I, I often fall back into the way I want to be cared for and the way I care for her. And so if I do that with the closest people, I'm probably going to do that for others. And so just recognizing that we're each different um, and uh, just acknowledging that. And at the end of the day, if I've not observed ahead of time, I, I've just started asking rather than just saying, you know what, I, I missed it on this or, hey, I'd really want to care for you, but I'm not I'm not understanding and I could I just ask how I could best care for you um, and just being out front. And I think that helps rather than me just doing what I want to do and it missing the mark. So what I'm hearing you say is caring isn't general. Caring yeah. is always specific. I don't care for the whole world. I yeah. care for your world. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love I love this part where you, and I'm quoting you from yeah. the book. Rather than say, because we're we're the kind of people that if there's a hurt, we say, I'll be praying for you. Yeah. Rather than say, I'll pray for you, which is yeah. a which is a forward statement. That's yeah. a I'm gonna I pray for them at the moment, right then and yeah. there, which means I may write a prayer and a text message and send it to them, or instead of saying, quote, prayers, end quotes, or praying for you, quote unquote, with the hands emoji on social media, I write the prayer out yeah. and send it. That comes back, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. The specific. Yeah. It's the specific, and it's in the moment. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, when I say I'll pray for you, <coughs> my problem, my age, is I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're young. You don't. You're young. You, no. You don't I, I, def, I definitely forget. And I think that for me, Dick, that just comes out of personal experience. One, I've, I've, I've forgotten. And then I share, you know, I if people say that, I, I think they're not really going to do it. And so just to take the time to do it in that moment, to honor them. Um, you know, I, some people, I've prayed with people from many different faiths, people that don't have faith, whatever, but at a time that I just feel impressed, could I pray for you? I, I, people are willing and open to it. Now I, I share, we're, we're Pentecostal, so I don't have these loud screaming prayers and, you know, hit them on the head and all that, but a prayer, a short, um, meaningful prayer, man, it really goes a long way. And and honestly, when it comes to text messages, whether it comes to WhatsApp or whatever, writing out the prayer or just praying it as a voice message and sending it to them, I think it allows, it shows intentionality, it shows the creativity, it shows um, effort, and I think it allows them to, for other people to see they are really seen, they are really known, and because you're voicing uh, a true heartfelt prayer at that time. It's great. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Okay. All right. <laughs> and um, we're talking to folks around the world who are usually parts of some kind of organization, yeah. some kind of institution, effort, mission, whatever it is. Uh, 
you talk about reframing organizational management lingo. And by <laughs> that, by that, you you have a section on how about the reverse process? How about daring to let others care for you? Yeah. When you're when you're seen as quote the caregiver or yeah. as the person on the pedestal or the one with the answers, when you're in need, being willing yeah. to do that. That's not hard. That's not easy for a lot of the folks listening. No. Or even this guy talking. Yeah, right for here. sure. Yeah. For sure. So what about that? For me, it's I think the most courageous times of my life is when I've had to ask for help or to share that I need to be cared for and to allow people to to care for me. Probably the weakest times in my life is when I've tried to just push through and do it my own. Now, that's been a reverse in my thinking as the older I've gotten. Probably the 25-year-old Aaron would have said my strongest times were when I pushed through and did it on my own. But when I asked for help, I was at my weakest. But the reality of it is, I think, as leaders, we're modeling and organizations were modeling. And if we want a culture of that we're caring for each other, we we have to be able to model to give it and to receive it and what that looks like. And as leaders, we get to model what that looks like in a healthy way of our, our organization and our culture. What does it look like when someone cares for us? How do we respond to that? How do we um, show gratitude? How do we um, walk in that? And I, I think it shows vulnerability and transparency. And for my generation, vulnerability and transparency is really what people want to see in leadership. The ideas of of my life's perfect and, you know, try to be like me. Those are probably the days going past. Um, my generation really wants leaders to be not, not sharing everything in their life, but that vulnerability, that transparency and saying, Hey, I go, I have challenging times too. And I need to be cared for. It also gives them freedom. The people we serve, it gives them freedom to, to open up and say, Hey, I, I need somebody to care for me now. If not, we set a false standard that I don't know if people can ever get to. And so people live in silence because they're afraid to admit that they need cared for because the leader never be, needs cared for. And and I think it's just, it can be a, a a big problem. So that's why I shared about that and the idea of organizations, how we can, we can shift. And I, I kind of dig down a little bit on there that, you know, just changing that. My Greg Beggs has, has really given me, uh, an open door to begin to to change how we we talk about people that people aren't things and processes. I think sometimes in organizations we create a process or a system to care for people, but you know systems and processes work really good for inanimate objects. For people, I, I don't think people want to be systematized or put into a process. Um, and he's really given me the freedom to to begin to change some of that language so people feel like they're they're a living being and and not a thing. In working towards, we do want diversity. Um, we want consistency. But I think sometimes in organizations, we get so caught up in, um, we say we want diversity, but we really, we want everything to be uniform. But uniform doesn't take the human condition into, into consideration. We want consistency. We want things to be to be similar, but allowing that diversity to come in there and how we care for people is part of that process. Toward the end of the book, you come back to this theme. And I, I think you say this same thing in several different ways. It's a little like Jesus. I, I think <laughs> Jesus says a handful of things. Ways, right? And I want to say this again. Yeah. Caring sometimes has this sense of rhythm and discipline and yeah. laundry and yeah. whatever. And you, you contend 
that caring, I'll put it in my words, you contend as I read this, that yeah. caring is one of the most innovative things you can do. Oh, for sure. Innovation. Um, I have one other thought after this, but just talk to me about innovation for a moment. You know, innovation is taking things from other fields and putting them into practice in, in certain areas. And I think that's the the beauty of caring. It allows us to be creative. It allows us to be innovative. We can think up of new ways to care for people and new opportunities and the things that are around us. And I think that's where that idea of innovation comes in. And this innovation of caring, of affecting culture. I talk about a change theory, diffusion of innovations, and that idea of we really want to change culture. Caring is going to look different. And so for the people we care for, it will be an innovation because it's it's going to be something in a different way that they've seen it before and how we can impact culture by by sharing that this idea of caring in this way, creative, intentional um, and with a focus um, will be an innov innovation to the people we come in contact with. I read a lot of books, Aaron, and I, I like reading books. Yeah. And I like reading books that are nonfiction. I like reading fiction. I like Louis L'Amour, Western writer, because the guy yeah. always yeah. <laughs> just, um, This one, this is nonfiction. Yeah. This is based in your life and your family's life. And there, is, there are lots of pieces to this, lots yeah. of intersection points. And so I'd like to encourage our listeners to get, to, how do we get this? If we get this, how do we get it? It is on Amazon, so we have the print copy, the, you know, the Kindle version, and I recorded the audio book. So uh, Dick has heard me say this before as I recorded the audio book. I realize I stutter. Um, I can't I don't enunciate very well, and um, I can't read. But I did get all of that out of there for the audio book. But it's on Amazon, and it'll be available on September 26th. So so we get the audio book. We get the sanitized you get the sanitized. You don't get the, the you get the West Virginia scrubbed out of there, the stuttering out of there. And so it's a it's a it's a clean copy. It took a it took a while longer than I thought it would. So I love I love the West Virginia part and I'm an old stutterer. So I <laughs> get the original. So the I would really encourage our folks to and I don't get any kickback on this. I'm yeah. just saying this to folks around the world. I really encourage you to to get this book and to Take your time and read it and work with it. I, yeah. I just it's tremendous. I'm going to I'm going to go out with a scripture verse. Sure, it's yours. Well, it's not yours, but it's you use it. Yeah, I'm going to say it, and I want you to tell me what it means. Okay. okay? Psalm eighty-seven seven. All my springs are in you. For me, my source of caring is him. And that's where the love, that's where the compassion, and that's where my I talk about the source of caring and the idea that it has to come from somewhere. And for me, my source of who I am and the 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 joy and the love and the hope that I have in caring for others comes from comes from Jesus Christ and my faith in him. And being reliant on that source is actually very freeing for me. It gives me freedom to care for others, knowing that he's going to restore, he's going to replenish, and he's going to fill my tank as I, uh, as I empty mine out. Well, Aaron, thanks for giving us 250 pages of your life. <laughs> thanks for doing it. Yeah. 
Lord, thank you for Aaron and Heather and their family. Thank you for your grace in their lives that in this work, in this book, splashes over into ours. Thank you that anybody can do this. A six-year-old can do this, and a 96-year-old can do this. Thank you for a template, for a, a, a map of some kind that gives us a place to land, places to start in this process that is so embodied in your person in Jesus Christ. Because he's so loved, here we are. So I pray for this uh, book as it's distributed, for the effort that's gone into it, that it will find um, fruit in ways that can't be imagined in the sometimes in the strangest places like you come along lord and find us in the silliest saddest places tag us and say you're it i believe you mean it let this book do that for us in a lot of ways in jesus name we pray